pretty much all the all of the data that we got back from the the interviews we did and the the question sets and so on said that meaning and purpose was integral to recovery basically you rarely find somebody who's successful in long-term recovery who hasn't found or or is it meaning and purpose having a purposeful meaningful life isn't somehow central it's the case that if you take away meaning from purpose from people it sort of psychologically collapses their life if we can coach people to find identify and orientate their lives around the things that matter most to them and stay close to those things that both makes them more resilient it unlocks energy it it gives them connection welcome to the tribe this is your weekly podcast from tribe sober whether you're already sober striving to be sober or just plain sober curious you need a tribe You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, Tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 126. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. Many of those people discovered Tribe Sober via our challenges and at the moment we're running our annual 66-day challenge. It's called Hashtag Sober 66. Just sign up any day during September and you'll get 66 days of online audio and community support from the date that you signed up. During my corporate career, I worked as an executive coach. And when I founded Tribe Sober six years ago, I decided I needed to add recovery coaching to my skill set. I asked around for recommendations and I was told that I must contact Anthony Eldridge Rogers as he is the pioneer of recovery coaching in the UK. So, of course, I did. And I enrolled on his recovery and wellness coaching course and I learned all about his meaning-centered coaching model. Anthony started his adult life as a survivor of a whole heap of challenges, from addiction to homelessness. But over several years, he managed to turn it all around and learn to thrive in spite of his really difficult start in life. I was delighted that Anthony agreed to share his story and talk about his coaching on our podcast this week. So I began by asking him to introduce himself. Thanks, Janet, very much for inviting me on here to talk about what will, well, my favourite topics, which is always great fun. I am a British person currently living in the UK, in the southwest of Devon. I uh, work in a number of different areas in behavioural health, which means that I'm interested in in human well-being and recovery and wellness and all of that across multiple domains. So uh, not just uh, across um, chemical or addiction 
uh, dependency, but actually across all sort of behavioral domains where people get into trouble because of their lifestyle and behavior. So I also uh, run with my family, a family arts-based business uh, built around circus and theater, which um, is uh, another passion of mine. I was in the film media business for a long time, and I have a very strong interest in the arts and what the arts can bring us. I've got three kids, all grown up virtually now. I've got twin daughters and a son who's 16. Yeah, and I'm married to to my wonderful partner. And here I am. Fabulous. Thank you. I didn't know about the the circus thing. That sounds Ah. fantastic. So I know that you've been in in recovery for many, many years. Uh, I think it's something like 40 years, isn't it? But you've had a pretty... 42, wow. You had a pretty difficult start in life, didn't you? Can can we mm. take you back to to your childhood and yeah. you know how how you were challenged? Yes. Well, uh, it's not really a terribly unique story because um, I, I, you know when I became an adult, I realised that so many people go through this kind of childhood experience. But essentially, I was born to um, a couple of lovely parents and had two sisters. Um, I was the middle child, but uh, the real problem was that my mother became addicted to uh, prescription drugs after the birth of my sister my younger sister and it triggered uh, an addiction in her quite quickly within within a year and she was given medication for postnatal depression good old valium of course she took to, took to it like a duck to water and there you know ensued all the horrible consequences of, of prescription drug and then other drug alcohol addiction. And our family fell apart quite quickly. And uh, I was sent to live with my grandparents when I was about eight years old. And unfortunately for me, my, uh, my one of my sisters went with me. Unfortunately for me, my grandmother also had an addiction problem and was addicted to morphine and sleeping tablets. There ensued a whole very traumatic period of my life some from the age of about seven through well through to uh, when I was about 15 14 so broken family split up loss of my mum uh, my mum spent about 12 years in mental institutions uh, over that period and she was a very chronic case of of addiction I, I think what's so shocking was so shocking and it w- was just how fast it all happened. She went from being quite able to cope and so on and just went straight down the, the pan you know, really, really fast. Was was that better than a slow collapse? I'm not, not entirely sure, really. It was very traumatizing. The net result on myself and my sisters was that we all coped with it by, by using drugs ourselves. The real, the real sort of dilemma, I think, was that I learned quite quickly and very young, I learned the power of a mood altering substance. I can remember to this day, and it's it's just it's just really etched into my mind. I was a very very shy kid. I'm very very self conscious and shy and timid. I discovered I was given a glass of scrumpy once. The first drink I ever had was a glass of scrumpy cider, and Mm -hmm. um, and it was like somebody had literally just switched a a flipped switch in me yeah and i just became a completely different person and all that anxiety all that self-consciousness just fell away 
And I can remember that moment to this day. And it was like the skies had opened and the sun had come out. Yeah. And that just set up an instant circuit. And I started using alcohol when I was, uh, when I went to my grandparents, when I was, well, I think I was nine when I started stealing the alcohol. And by the time I left there, I, I was doing whatever I could to get, get alcohol. Yeah, it's like a magic potion, isn't it? It is. I was a bit like that. I wasn't quite that young. But the first time I drank, I thought, oh, this is the answer. (laughs) And I I talked to a lot of people that also had that feeling. Yet, if you talk to people that they're they're not that bothered about alcohol, they say, oh, it tasted horrible the first time I tasted it. I think think the power of it was the relief from the tension I felt inside myself. Yeah the the, yeah. the 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 holding of myself in an anxious place. Yeah, think, well, it's hardly surprising. Yeah, exactly. So I was a good candidate for it. Um, yeah. And yeah. you know, so it became my primary primary coping method. So as a teenager, you were drinking, and and what happened to your studies? Were you managing to no, to go I, to school? I, I, and that's really interesting, isn't it? Because n- now it wasn't until probably fifteen years later after I got into recovery. So when I was about 35, it wasn't until around then that I, that the penny finally dropped that I was suffering from PTSD as a child. Yeah. What was really going on was that, so I developed a, a substance misuse and dependency, which was causing its own chaos, but it was solving some kind of problem that I felt I had. By, by the time I got to my teens, I'd moved into drugs, smoking dope, amphetamines my mother's prescription drugs, because for a, a horrible period of time, my mother and I actually were using together, yeah. which was very, very, very difficult. But I had an underlying condition, which was this was actually trauma. And of course, when I got into recovery, when I took away, when I got off all the drugs, of course, I was left with the underlying trauma, which back then, being it being the 80s, wasn't really recognized as, as, as something that was going on. So my, you know, the early recovery phase was very difficult. So I, I, I was kind of dealing with multiple multiple issues that um, related not just to my mother but also to my grandmother. Yeah, it was it was it was yeah. a difficult difficult um, time. With that kind of start in life and and the fact that you were drinking so early and using mm. as well in your teenage years, it's just amazing that you managed to to get out of it, didn't you? Yeah. You managed to turn it all around. So how how did you do? How how? Well, I thank my mum for that because w- what happened was. My mum continued to get worse and worse and worse. She was, like I said, institutionalized a lot of the time. She was on all sorts of, she was in Tooting Beck Lockup Hospital with straw pillows and the whole whole routine, anti-suicide watch and all that kind of thing. So I really, uh, I had a sort of, you know, front row seat to the, the terrible consequences of what was happening to her, which I kind of intuitively knew it had something to do with the drugs, but wasn't quite sure what that meant. She had a doctor at the time this doctor came across, had been told about a 12-step treatment centre. The doctor was, I bet he, you know, was at his wit's end with my mother. He just had no idea what to do with her. And so he said, in, so he shipped her off to Broadway Lodge in the West Country. Let's just try anything kind of thing. And much to everybody's total amazement, they, they immediately just went, well, you know, she's, got an, she's addicted and she needs to come off all these drugs. And she turned up with a suitcase full of pharmaceuticals. And they just said, well, no, no, we're not going to be. And they just took her off. Uh, she was in there for about 
for four or five months and they took her off all the pharmaceuticals and then they stuck her in in a room with other people who'd been take you know and and the process began and the conversation started that was really one of the worst periods of that part of my life because just uh, give me a moment it, it's quite hard to talk about mum she she passed away at christmas um, oh i'm sorry to hear that uh, Anthony. yeah she it, it was like uh, you you lose a parent when you're seven, and and it's like they, and they and they reemerge when you're nine, 19, 18, 19. and they so start. So she was able to to get clean with the the twelve steps, was she? She did, yeah, she did, and she passed away forty forty three years in recovery, and she went from this basket case, who I used to pray would die. Not that I particularly had a religion, but after I used to see her in the hospital, I used to pray that she would die because I couldn't bear to see everything. And she got she rose like a phoenix from the ashes. I mean, it was astonishing, wow. you know. And she she just came back online, and my mum was there, and she was and she was saying I she was owning everything, and she was saying I, I can't and what's happened, what I've done to you, and all this kind of stuff. And it was very very difficult because you know all that emotion, the whole thing just overwhelmed me. So of course I hit the bottle as you do. <laughs> So, as you do, <laughs> as you do. So I hit the bottle quite badly for 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 a while, but there's something about it was something about the the miracle of it that lodged in my head, and I went I went down to this treatment centre to do what's called family group therapy. They asked me if I'd like to see a counsellor. I went to see this annoying counsellor who proceeded to tell me that she thought that I had a drink problem, which went down very badly. But it, it stuck in my head. It's, and, and, and it wasn't really a big jump for me to see, because I, I was self-aware. I wasn't really in denial, weirdly. I wasn't trying to say, I don't drink too much. I knew I drank too much and I knew I had problems. But, and I think I just, I, I just took that as a, as, as, a, as a kind of idea in my head. And I, I just thought about it for six months or so. And then I started going to AA meetings. Sorry, on a parallel track, my sister, my older sister, had also run into problems with alcohol. She'd gone into, into the rehab. Everyone was going to the rehab. In fact, my whole family ended up in the rehab. I just had one of those road to Damascus moments, really, where I just, I can remember it quite clearly, where I sort of realized that, that I, I had to stop drinking. And, and how old doing. were you then, Anthony? I was um, I was nineteen. Wow! Well, yeah. well done, you. Yeah. I mean, it could have gone just downhill, <laughs> couldn't it, for the rest could've. of your life? It could you have really, yeah. really. And I, and that's why I, it's interesting because I, I struggle. I, I I don't really feel I can take credit for it. I I just feel incredibly lucky and and fortunate. The right and circumstances presented themselves that I could have that moment and then something could happen that was positive from it. But so, you have to be receptive, don't you? And you yeah, were receptive yeah. to the, all those You have elements. to be receptive and you, yeah, yeah. You, have to, you have to be willing. But I also, I think, I think, I think and this actually is interesting because this is something that's such an important part of the work I think that you do and that, that others like you and myself do is you've got, you know, hope is the most significant component of all of this. And I think I suddenly was meeting all these people who, who were sort of going, oh, it, it's a treatable thing. It's something you can get over. You know, you don't have to, there are solutions. And I, and that was really important to me. 
and I saw her in my mum. I, I, Absolutely. I couldn't believe it. Um, and did you become close to your mum over the, the years you were both yes. in recovery yeah, together? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, and it got very abstract because she and I had a very bad, like I said, we had this all very crazy using period um, where I was buying drugs her and we were taking her, but I was just, just like out of a movie. In later I was years, just thinking that. Yeah, it was. Later years, because she became this incredibly respected part of her community. She she put herself together, got a job, became sort of pil a pillar of her local town. She ran Age Concern for many years in the area. She, you know, she was on the board of trustees. I mean, it was just hilarious. She and I used to joke. She used to say to me, she said, if they only just knew. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and we used to joke about it. We used to laugh and we used to laugh about it. We cried about it too. We used to laugh about it. I said, can you believe? And, she, and we used to sit there and I said, I can't believe that all happened. You know? Um, no. No, it must just, feel like a movie to you sometimes. Yeah, it especially does. with it being yes. 40 years ago as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. So talk to me about how your career developed and how you got drawn into, into coaching and recovery. Yes, well, there's, there's a kind of, it's a two-part story in the sense that I, as you rightly pointed out, I got involved in 12-step fellowships, became one of the early proponents of an organization called Narcotics Anonymous. NA, which I think I started the second meeting in the UK way back in the day, along with a few other people, sort of exiles from AA, that you could say, uh, only because a lot of people in AA got fed up with, you know, people talking about drugs. So, you know, they didn't want, they wanted to talk about booze. It quickly became, became my home community. So it became like my, my social life and because I didn't drink and so on. And, yeah, and it I, does. Yeah, and I still, my best mate is uh, still, is, you know, I met after two years in recovery and we're still best friends and talk every day and stuff. So it, it gave me a community and I, I got very involved in that community for, for a while. So in many ways, I owe that community my recovery. This is a bit controversial, I suppose, and we can talk about it, but a lot of, a lot of people say, you know, it's not about the community. It, it's about whatever it needs to be for the individual. You know, some people mm -hmm. it's it's a spiritual path and it's about a book and they don't need a community. I, but I, I needed people. Yeah, um, yeah. I think most know. people, I, I believe that, uh, what do they say, connection is the opposite of addiction. Yeah. I yeah. really believe yeah. that. So that's you, that, that's that Johan Harry. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Big fan of his. Yes, well, you should read his latest book. It's fantastic. Uh, well, I read. Uh, chasing the scream and then ah. he's written one about depression hasn't he i've read no that he's written well, stolen stolen focus which is just oh, i haven't read that phenomenal so i got involved over the years with helping people in recovery as a as a as a kind of personal hobby project it wasn't my work okay and uh and i and i had a a career in the in the film and i became a photographer and i had a career in the film business went to south africa as you know um, mm -hmm. I had a career out there and had some businesses and so on. And then I came to, I, ha I had a light, when I became a dad, I decided to do a complete flip-flop and gave up the entire media business and decided to train as a coach. An interesting choice at the time because I've, several times I thought about training as a psychotherapist or as a counsellor. And every time I got to the threshold of the training, something stopped me. And I, and, I, and I could never put my finger on it, but I could say it just didn't quite fit. And I, what I realized in my case, and this is actually something that's quite, I, I think, quite important, is there's a real 
um, in psychological helping professions, there's a real fit for purposeness that is, isn't thought about enough. What I thought there was a lack of, and I'd noticed in my all the people I've been helping, there was a lack a lack of help available to actually facilitate change processes in a very focused and specific way. It seemed to me, and I think it's still the case, that the the the, the, the predominant approach of therapeutic professions is to see any present day problem as rooted in a childhood issue. Yeah. And that if you talk about the childhood issue, the present day problem will miraculously fix itself. Now, that may be true. It wasn't true in my case because I spent 20 years in therapy and I still struggled to organize my life in a way that I wanted. I still struggled with things and therapists didn't seem to be able to help me. And every time I went to see them, if I went to see a new therapist, they say, well, tell me about your mother. You know, and I sort of said to them, listen, I've spent 10,000 hours talking about my mum. There's no, there's nothing I can't say about my mum. You know, it, it, there's no, another journey around my mother isn't going to, my relationship with the mother isn't the answer. What I'm struggling with is this. I'm not struggling with not being able to talk about my mum. Um, or yeah, it's about or looking forward rather than yeah. back all the time. Yes, I said, well, I just don't seem to be able to put my life together in a meaningful way. And, and, and I keep, feel like I'm tripping myself up and all that kind of thing. And what I came to realize um, when I did my coaching training, I had a sort of massive aha moment because I went, hang on a second. This is what I've been trying to do, you know, in my helping people and so on. You know, this is the, I felt like I found a piece of the puzzle because I thought, you know, what I noticed uh, in working with people in recovery is that people people sort of exit treat, treatment interventions. They exit sort of the crisis period, you know, and they get a little bit of a way out of it over time. But then something seems to not quite work. You know, there's something that seems to, and then they sort of slowly sort of, it's like sort of, you know, Relax. it's like they go out into orbit and then somehow they start to form <laughs> back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, and, yeah. And, it's a good uh, analogy. and uh, I, I thought, and then I realized, well, it's because what you get in that first stage is enough to get you to the beginning of the next stage, but you then have to have another process yeah. to take you forward. Absolutely. And treatment centers are really good at shooting you out into orbit. Mm. And then they're like, well, job done. But it isn't job done. Because <laughs> right? then you have to survive in the real world. Then you've got to say, what? Well, how do I actually manage to navigate a life that is in very similar environments to the ones I've always been in, in which I've been self-medicating or using my drug. And how do I do that? I'm sure like you, I was very alarmed at the, the amount of people who relapsed. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, well, why, why, is every, why is everybody relapsing? We've all been to the same rehab. So I got very interested in recovery. How does recovery happen? Why do some people make it and other people seem to struggle? Yeah. What are what are the, the pieces of that? And, um, Can I just interrupt you and ask a question? When, when you mm. decided to train as a coach or to explore mm. that, mm. was it always in your mind that you would use this in recovery as, you know, you were helping people anyway? Not, not or was it for a business coaching thing? Did well, you want to uh, be an executive want... coach? Like David Collins, I think he worked in the financial centre, yeah. maybe still does, as an executive coach. I wondered if that was your original goal. My original goal was to be a coach in the creative industries. I'd been in the, okay. in, in the media and I, I wanted to coach people in, uh, by the way, there are a lot of people with drug and alcohol and other kinds of issues in the creative <laughs> industries. So, you know, um, but 
yes, I wanted to. I my primary objective wasn't to apply it to recovery per se. Okay. But I mean, day three in the course, and all my light bulbs went on. I was like, yeah. oh my god, you know, what if we took this, tinkered around with it, gave it a context for for people trying to rebuild their lives. So you know, they're off all the drugs and alcohol. The wheels are back on the, the truck. What if we coached them as opposed yeah. to trying to sponsor them or therapize them or, or or tell them what to do? What if we coached them? And that, that and then I thought I have to give that a try. Yeah. So kind of coaching people to rebuild their lives and find yeah. a purpose. You know, yeah. I mean, we always say you, you want to build a life that you don't want to escape from. And that's what we need to help people to do, isn't yeah. it? Yes. Or tools where when you are impacted by that feeling that you want to escape, you know, you, yeah. you've got a, a reach for tool. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. OK, so you did your coaching course and then... Uh, you're a real pioneer in the recovery coaching uh, space, aren't you? Did it even exist before you you set up your... Yeah, well, I I mean, I was was chastened slightly by the fact that I I thought I'd hit on an original concept and then I discovered that actually other people had hit on this concept as well. But mainly uh, um, a woman from America who uh, had started an organisation called Recovery Coaches International which I don't think exists anymore. And then, of course, David Collins, um, he and I started having conversations about it. He and I did the same training program. Uh, The coaching. Yeah, we were even on the same course, I think, one weekend. And here in South Africa, you and David uh, set something up, didn't you, the the college that he still runs? Um, Well, I was involved involved with that. Uh, I I sat on the board of one of his uh, UACT, I think it was, for a while. Uh, last time he and I did nothing together, I, we did some work together in Soweto. Yeah. So how has your coaching practice evolved over the years? What does it look like now? Well, listen, you touched on the thing. So so doing some re- so did some research, was trying to answer the question, what are the metrics of recovery? Because I figured, listen, if we could figure out what the kind of core ground that we need to be on is, and we could get people to move into that place, then they'd they'd be more likely to feel better and get the life that they want free of drugs and alcohol or, you know, cheese or ice cream or whatever the thing is. Pretty much all the, all of the data that we got back from the, the interviews we did and the, the question sets and so on said that meaning and purpose was integral to recovery. Basically you rarely find somebody who's successfully in long-term recovery who hasn't found or or is it meaning and purpose having a purposeful meaningful life isn't somehow central it's the case that if you take away meaning from purpose from people it sort of psychologically collapses their life so i got very interested in that and i and i thought well what what if we actually put meaning and purpose at the center of any kind of coaching model if you're going to have a model what are we doing? We know we know what some of the skills are. We're listening, or you know, the coaching skills. But what are we? What are we? What are we heading for? And uh, meaning and purpose became the thing. So I, I developed the meaning-centered coaching model, which is really the heart of my program uh, still. And it really basically is said is if we can coach people to find, identify, and orientate their lives around the things that matter most to them and stay close to those things that both makes them more resilient it unlocks energy 
it it gives them connection you know it, it it gives them a lot of things i've kind of taken all the coaching toolkit and and yeah. said that's our that's our primary primary purpose yeah the other yeah. piece the other piece which i think is really important i just want to say that that is that i've become through experience convinced that a holistic approach has to be the way forward and and it's so interesting what we're learning now about sleep and food and everything and so many uh, there's so much cor- correlation between mental health and sleep uh, i'm sure you you know you many of your listeners may well know this but there is nothing good about sleep shortage i mean the evidence is irrefutable you know yeah. I, I mean i meet people I say, oh i sleep five hours a night and i say how are you feeling oh i'm feeling depressed and i'm going well you know i mean <laughs> it's, it's, yeah did you know about this and and i've i've had coaching assignments where um i've been asked to coach people I, I I often get called in as the coach of last resort, you know. So like, well, we've tried with this guy, you know. We, but they come in and and there was one chap who came in and his performance at work had gone down and everything, all the everything was falling apart and they were virtually thinking they've got to fire him. And when I do an intake session with a new client, uh, I get all the metrics about them. So I said, you know, I've got a big long list, you know, and I say, well, you know, what are you eating? What are you drinking? Mm-hmm what are your relationships like i mean because every, all of these things really matter anyway he, everything was fine and then he said oh yeah but I, my sleep's been really bad and i said tell you know so we i coached him a bit around that turns out that his wife was having a medical crisis he wasn't a, she she needed a lot of care his sleep had gone out of the window and i said when did this happen he said, oh, you know two two and a half years ago or something and and it's ongoing and boom so i said well how about we just try and reset your sleep we reset his sleep everything else came back wow yeah you know and so and it it, it ceased it never ceased to amaze me how therapeutic the psychological psychological professions and so on are constantly unable to understand that if your client walks in depressed you know it may not be a childhood issue yeah yes it, it may not be anything complicated it might be a lifestyle issue it could be a nutritional problem. It could be a sleep problem. And if you're not even willing to hold open that space, you know, then then you shouldn't be practicing. Because yeah, and that's that's where the kind of wellness coaching comes right. in. Right. Yeah. yeah. So because I mean that's why my my framing is I call it recovery and wellness coaching mm. because essentially if you think about it as a continuum, we yeah. start off needing to recover, which means we need to bring about a process of change in our condition. Well, what's our goal? Well, our goal is well-being and meaning. Yeah, we're not. Our goal isn't to, to stay ill, but be in recovery. The goal of recovery is wellness. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. However, the individual person you're coaching describes that. You know. Yeah. And and, and it does does take work, doesn't it, Anthony? Because uh, a lot of the people that I work with, and I was one of them, when you take away the booze or the drugs or whatever it is that you're fixated on there's there's this kind of void isn't there and then you have to get to know yourself again I mean I'd forgotten what I enjoyed doing and you know people look at me blankly sometimes when I say well you know what else can you spend your time doing you know now that you're not uh, socializing or drinking alone or whatever you used to do and there's a there's a real space there and that space is is where the coaching comes in isn't it you can just through that active listening and through challenging and and triggering people's 
who yeah. think of ideas, you know, they'll, they'll come up with stuff themselves. Even sometimes it does take going back to the childhood, but in a positive way yeah. to think, well, what did I used to like when I was yeah. a kid? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So like that's, yeah. I mean, Janet, that's such a, such a good point. I mean, listen, just to be really clear, I'm not anti going in fact i think it's important to go back and understand yeah. how you got to where you got what but i think it's a it's a process that's contextual to the need if you need to go back to get illumination about you know something that you struggle with in the present moment it's it's fine to do that and i support that fully and i do it with clients all the time i i'm just saying let let's not operate from a, a hard principle that every present day challenge is related to something like that because it it, it isn't necessarily true. I think, you're, I mean, this is the biggest problem for recovery is environmental issue, both internal environment, the inside of me, because I quite like, I like thinking about it like that, you know, it's like, it, if I'm an, you know, if my internal environment, what's in there was well, a lot of open space, there's a lot of empty rooms, you know, whatever. So, so how could we fill them up? And what would we fill them up with? And, and so on. And, and but then there's the external environment, which is constantly priming us and, and triggering us for, for, for behavioral responses. You know, the job of the coach really is to is to help a person get in charge of that process and then be an ally in them working out how to manage their environments. Yeah. yeah. And those that includes relationships, of course. Not all the relationships with people, because a relationship is an environment, isn't it? You know? Of course. And yeah. um so once that all happens, um, uh, but that's very hard to do uh, flying solo on your own. Yeah, yeah. Because everything wants to, all your habits want to revert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're just so instinctive, aren't we, with our behavior if, if we don't develop that awareness. Yeah, and it's all about building new neural pathways. One of my favorite um, professors coaching guys called Paul Brown, he, he talks about coaching is the process of changing the brain what you know when you think about it like that so when somebody comes to you and says i want my life to be different i want to be in recovery or i want to stay in recovery and i want to you know want all these things what they're really saying is i'd like to change my brain because we know that the functioning of the brain has a physical correlation of the mind and they're literally saying can i can i recode my mind well that's what you're doing as a coach you're working with someone to recode their mind so instead of thinking about x that's thinking thinking about why instead of responding in version a of their response they've got version c which is a new one yeah. and so on and that's all uh, about uh, about neurological function and yeah, I mean, we run these uh, little challenges. We we say, um, you know, stay off the booze, and, and we give people help, obviously, with that for sixty six days, and then you will have built a new neural pathway, and it'll be easier going forward. And it really seems to work. Yeah, with with a lot of people. I did your recovery coaching online, as you know, and I got an awful lot out of it. It was great. If anyone's listening to this who is interested, can you just explain how it works and what kind of courses you're running these days? Well, I, I have got two two fundamental courses and, and a few new add-on courses coming. Essentially, I've got a course for people who already have coaching skills or are a counsellor or already are working in that that um, realm and and that basically will add coaching skills in the recovery and wellness context into their skill set what i'm very keen on is helping existing practitioners be, become more effective and more confident 
because it, it can be very challenging to suddenly find yourself working with somebody who's just come out of a chronic drink problem. And I, I think, you know, from my course, you know, I, I, I kind of sort of say, I think the recovery and wellness coaches have to really be on their game because the consequences for your clients are pretty dire if they don't make it. If you don't crack your drinking problem, there it is a one-way journey. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So uh, I, I'm, I'm very keen to upskill existing practitioners and coaches. And then I also have a ground-up coach training program, which basically teaches all the coaching skills. So if someone's listening to this, and yeah. they are where I was uh, no, 10 years ago, and mm -hmm. they, they know that they're drinking ridiculous amounts, and they've got to make a change, but they've just no idea how to start. And they're, they're filled with shame because they don't want to talk about it. They want to do it all very privately. Mm -hmm. What would you say to them? Well, if I could, I would explain to them that there are – really a large number of people who have successfully dealt with this problem the thing that i think really is crucial for people is is for them to understand that you can live a really fantastic life with all the things that you you cherish and want with without ruining your health and your going down the road of too much alcohol misuse yeah it's absolutely hundred. and there's thousands and thousands of examples of that you me all sorts of people yeah and they're not weirdos you know they're just regular folk um yeah. who are living great lives and that and i and i'd I really just say it is possible is it easy i never i don't think it's helpful to say things are really easy it isn't easy it but it's it is doable yeah, yeah. I say to people, six months, make it your priority, yeah. you know, really focus on it. And then, you know, things will start yeah. falling into place. But you have to make it a priority. Yeah. But yeah, you know, going back to your, your thing about people have got to realize they can, you know, be happy without relying on it. Yeah. It, it just shows, doesn't it, the power of, of marketing and the liquor industry, you know, they've convinced us that, yeah. that we need to drink to to have a kind of full and happy life and well, every time yeah. you watch a movie you know they're all drinking their heads off and it's yeah. it's subliminal half of it well it is and i mean we you know the trouble with uh, we've been groomed basically yeah yeah you know by, by industry <laughs> yeah. to to accept all sorts of things which are bad for us not you know food and chucking a, a bit yeah. of peer pressure as well and yeah. <laughs> it's hard That's work right. to resist it all but, you know, I, I think if people have come to that point where they say, I feel like I'm in trouble, yeah. um, you know, first of all, there is there is absolutely a pathway out of it. Secondly, don't try and tough it out and do it on your own. Find no. help that you're comfortable with. Reach out and make that connection and you you will be able to get get through it. it, it it'll be tricky. It'll be difficult. But, it, but it'll, like you said, I, I think it's absolutely great. You know, give it six months. I mean, I sometimes say, listen, try it for six months. If it's really horrendous, you know, you can always go back, can't you? Of course, it'll always be there. Yeah, it'll always be there. But but I suspect after six months, you'll be going, hmm, yeah, this is good. Meaning and purpose, it's it's what it's about. And, and you know, when you feel like your life without alcohol is, is, is a beautiful and wonderful thing and an adventure, then that, that's what makes it all come together. Thank you so much, Anthony. That's such an inspirational story. So let's pull out some key points. Anthony told us about his difficult childhood, how his mother became an addict and spent time in psychiatric hospitals. Along with his siblings, he moved in with his grandmother, who was also addicted to drugs. 
the only way these children found to deal with the trauma was to use drugs themselves. Anthony discovered the power of a mood-altering substance at a very young age, and he was drinking alcohol at the age of nine. He loved the way it made him feel. He was an awkward kid, and his shyness and anxiety just fell away. Of course, he continued to abuse alcohol into his teens, adding drugs into the mix. Meanwhile, Anthony's mother just got worse and worse, and as he puts it, he had a front row seat to this tragic show. But intuitively, he knew that her psychiatric issues were linked to her drug use. Her doctors were so desperate, they shipped her off to a rehab where she arrived with a suitcase full of drugs. It took the treatment centre three or four months to wean her off the drugs and then to encourage her to mix with the other people as she began to work on the 12 steps. And much to everyone's amazement, the programme worked and Anthony's mother rose as a phoenix from the ashes, from a basket case to a sane and loving woman. Wow. She was truly contrite about the damage that she'd inflicted on her three children and obviously tried hard to make amends. But Anthony found all this emotion totally overwhelming. Don't forget he was still a teenager. The emotions, along with the shock of getting his mother back after all these years, was just too much. So he hit the bottle hard for months. But the miracle of what had happened to his mother was by then firmly lodged in his brain. What was also lodged in his brain was a comment by a counsellor who told him that he had a drink problem. He was annoyed at this comment, but it stuck. And at the age of 19, he had a road to Damascus moment. And he just knew that he would have to stop drinking. So he started going to AA meetings. Anthony reflected that giving people hope is such an important part of the work that we do in recovery. And the people who Anthony was meeting during this period were giving him hope. They were telling him that he was treatable. And of course, he had the example of his mum. So he got sober with a mix of rehab and 12-step meetings. Anthony developed a career in the film industry. But when he became a dad, he decided to train as a coach. We reflected on the difference between therapy and coaching The fact that therapy tends to look backwards and often examines our childhood, whereas coaching is more about looking at the future. By the time he did his coaching course, Anthony had already been in therapy for many years. I think he said 20. He no longer wanted to talk about his relationship with his mother, which of course all the therapists wanted to focus on. That approach was no longer working for him. And as he went through his coaching training, he had a massive aha moment. He felt like he'd found the missing part of a puzzle because it occurred to him that the coaching skills that he was learning could be of great help to people as they move through their recovery. He came up with a great analogy about the kind of intensive work that's done in rehabs, but how after a few weeks or months, the rehab will shoot the client out into orbit but without the requisite coping skills, that client will just fall back to earth. Because although they may have learned a lot in rehab and been weaned off the drugs, they need coaching when they leave. They need some kind of bridge to help them develop the coping skills to manage in the outside world. 
especially our alcohol-drenched world. As Anthony puts it, let's get the wheels back on the truck in rehab and then look at recovery coaching afterwards. As Anthony began to research his coaching model, he looked at the metrics of recovery. And his research showed him something so important. It showed him that meaning and purpose were integral to recovery. After all, if you take away someone's meaning and purpose, they will psychologically collapse. And we're very conscious of that here at Tribe Sober. We're conscious that recovery is about so much more than not drinking. And once our members have managed to quit drinking, which is stage one, we then help them to learn to thrive in their alcohol-free lives, which of course means discovering their meaning and purpose. If you'd like to look at our seven-step model that guides our members through this process, just go to tribesober.com and hit join our tribe. As Anthony says, finding our meaning and purpose makes us more resilient, unlocks our energy and gives us a feeling of connection. And I certainly discovered that creating Tribe Sober has given me all of those things. I love what Anthony says about coaching being recoding of the brain. We can just think about how we paste a bit of code into our computer. And when we get in coaching, we're doing that with our brain. You heard us talking about neural pathways there. And at the moment, we're running our annual 66-day alcohol-free challenge. 66 days is the time it takes to build a new neural pathway. Our challenge is called Hashtag Sober 66 and you can sign up any day during September. You'll get 66 days of community online and audio support from the day you signed up. I finished by asking Anthony what he would say to someone who was struggling. And his message is one of hope. He would say that millions of people have conquered their addiction and gone off to live wonderful lives. So reach out for help and don't go it alone. Go to Tribe Sober, join our tribe and get connected. If you want to get in touch with Anthony, then the best way to contact him is to go to his LinkedIn profile. So I'll I'll put that in the show notes. And let me end with a member message from one of our chat rooms. This message is from tribe member Claire. 365 days ago, I found Tribe Sober and my life changed. I took my life back into my own hands and have shed the guilt, shame and anxiety that was coursing through my veins. I've learned a lot about myself these past 12 months and mostly I like what I see. Thank you to everyone in this wonderful, supportive family for the part you've played in me reaching this milestone. Oh, thank you, Claire, and many congratulations to you on that first soberversary. It's such a special event, and it's so nice we have two birthdays when we're in recovery, our sober one and our birth one. Claire just agreed to do a podcast interview with me, so she's going to share more about her journey, so watch this space. If you listen to this podcast regularly, please leave us a review. I know it takes a few moments to do that and it's a bit fiddly, but we'll show our appreciation for the review by sending you a discount voucher so you get your hashtag Sober66 challenge absolutely free. So that's it from me, guys. I'll be back next week. 
Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.